0: Get into the Word of God, take your copy of God's Word, and let's go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to cover the first eight verses this morning. Title: The message is today is what John saw, what John saw. So I pray it to be a blessing to you. Let's start reading in verse one. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He said, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the waters of life freely. And he that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Father, we pray for these next few minutes that as we put our attention to your word that we hear from you, that we hear and understand what John wrote as he saw father there is a life greater than this life but yet lord there is a life that is worse than this life and father this message today is about a mode of encouragement father lord if there be one here today does not know jesus christ as lord and savior maybe they think that they are but yet father lord the spirit struggles inside of them But lord i pray that this message would be clear and would clarify to their heart whatever that need may be For us as Christians, Lord, that we would just understand and know that this life will not always be. It's just not that we look towards a grave or towards the rapture, whichever will come first. But, Father, that this would be a message of encouragement, Father, to help us to put aside the things of this life. And to understand and know that there is a time that is coming when we be received by you. And that, Lord, that we'll be with you forever together in heaven. So let the blessings of hope and of mercy find its place. We love you and we thank you. It's your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. In verses one, in Revelation chapter 21, verses one to eight, verses one to seven is that proves and shows to us is that is what you will inherit. Now think about this. It is about what you will inherit through your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But verse 8, as we just read a moment ago, is what you will inherit because you do not have a personal relationship. Now, there's a big difference in that. We call ourselves Christians. We want to be Christians. But Christianity is not word. It's faith in its presence. It's knowing that we're born again inside of our minds and our hearts. So here we see how God has opened John's eyes. He gives us the satisfaction of the heart, which is in verses 1 through 8. But in verses 9 through 27, we see the description of the New Jerusalem that it's a satisfaction of the eye. Streets of gold that are so purified. Streets of gold that are so revelant what heaven itself is actually going to look like, which is not where we're going today, because today the Lord wants us to focus on the satisfaction of the heart, which is where we're at today. So let's quickly look at verses one and two. I really want to get down to verse four is where, where I really want to find and understand where the meat of the message is today. But in verse one, John says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. This is the announcement of the new heaven and the new earth that is coming, and that all believers should focus on these things. But the three points in verse 1 is this, is that a new heaven, as John sees a new heaven and a new earth, is that children of God, that we are to be forward-looking as children of God. That there is something greater that awaits us. There's a hope, there's a mercy, there's a peace. There's a new heaven, there's a new earth. All of this chaos and this mess that sin has created will be gone and be remembered no more. The second thing that he talks about is the first heaven and the earth are passed away. And this is the knowledge of the child of God. This is the motivating factor that leads us into the heart's knowledge of knowing that this is actually real. We read this and some people read this and they say, well, it's fictional. It's not real. It's not necessary that it is something that just John just dreamed up on his own self and brought these things to be. But we know as children of God that the first heaven and the first earth are going to pass away. And this is the forward looking knowledge of a child of God. And the third is that there is no more sea, that there is nothing but unity for the children of God. There is no sea to divide the land. The land will all be. There is no need for division. There is no need for separation. There is no need for the climactic environment and what takes place and how the sea plays the role in that. But absolutely, it speaks about that there is no more division. Children of God being together. Oh, are you happy about that this morning? And yeah. verse 2, and he goes on and he says, And I, John, saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. Can you imagine what John saw? Can you imagine what was going through his mind and going through his heart? That as he saw this holy city, this new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the announcement of the New Jerusalem. This New Jerusalem is being the the reception and the reception home for the bride. And this is the absolute presence of God through unity. There is no separation. Heaven comes down and we are here and we're together. And God Himself, because even though we cannot see God, because no man can look upon God and live, that we look upon the face of God and we would die. But here, the absolute presence of God himself is going to be with mankind. We talk about Jesus and that's great. He's our Lord and Savior for if we're saved. But here we see that John himself, that is this new Jerusalem comes down, that God himself, this great God that loved us so much that he gave himself for us. He gave Himself for us in the likeness of Himself through Jesus Christ. And He came and He lived and He died and He poured out all that He had. And John sees this and the adoration of this moment in verse 2 simply is is that this great announcement is that God Himself is going to be with us. And we're going to be with Him. We don't think much about that. Because we're always thinking of the second part of the Trinity. Trinity. But when we think about the absolute presence of God, what a holy reception that will be on that glorious day when we see him face to face. Verse three, he moves on and he says, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, now pay attention to what John says. Here's a great heralding that is coming from heaven as John is seeing this very understanding this spiritual, this realistic uh, avenue of of grace and understanding that John himself, and I can only imagine how, you know, when you see something and you try to write it down, it doesn't, sometimes it just doesn't work. We can see the beauty of a sunset or the beauty of a sunrise and we, we may type it out or write something out and says that, you know, wow, what such a beautiful sunrise it was. It was the most beautiful sunrise that I've ever seen in my life. But yet we cannot convey what we see with our eyes with the mere use of our words. So I can believe that John here is not struggling. John is writing. But I can only imagine that as John is writing this, he's saying, man, I wish that I could put a picture to the words. But he hears a heralding voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God. This great tabernacle that we're going to look at here in Exodus 25 in just a moment. But he says that, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. It's not a mere building. It's not a mere presence. It is the absolute knowledge of this great tabernacle that is of God and it will be with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself, it himself shall be with them and will be their God. We're going to speak to him. He's going to speak to us. He's going to be in a physical but yet visual presence of us and we're going to see him we're going to see the father son and the spirit and he himself it's not like we come to church and you not this is the only place that we we worship God but we come to this place we see the tabernacle in a moment of the old testament and what dwells there but yet there's a day when God himself is going to come his presence will be with us the power and sustaining grace of almighty God is going to surround us and we're going to look to the thrones of grace and we're actually going to see Him. We're going to actually going to hear Him and we're going to know that when we see Him we'll never be separated from Him. Ah, oh, The power of that grace and glory. Exodus chapter 25. I just want to read this quickly. Exodus chapter 25 verses 1 to 9. This is the Old Testament tabernacle. But the New Testament tabernacle is going to be that of the presence of God and of Christ. The power of His glory and the majesty of His grace. But I wanted to give you Exodus chapter 25 and to see here what Moses and how he identifies with this Old Testament tabernacle and the things that took place. Aren't you glad that Jesus went to the cross? Aren't you glad that we don't have to go to a building and give a living sacrifice? Aren't you glad that we don't have to go and give our sins to a man that he may take them before a holy God? Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ is the mediator and the only mediator between God and man? And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly. With his heart you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take of them, gold and silver and brass, verse 4, and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair, the ram skins dyed red, and badger skin and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense." On stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary. Now pay attention to what he says. He's not talking about the building. He's talking about himself. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show thee. After the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. The tabernacle of God is in Christ. The presence of Christ is in the absolute presence of God. And this is what brings this Trinity together. And it brings this great peace and this great hope. And he talks about this tabernacle as we've just read here in verse 3. That he hears again this great heralding of the eternity true. And the one is the tabernacle is with men. God Christ, the Spirit of God is with men. He is with us. There is no more separation of Him being in heaven and us being on earth. There is an absolute triune that is bringing together the absolute respect and love of God to the hearts of men. The second thing is is that He will dwell with them. Man has seen Jesus. We have testimony of that. But no man has seen God and lived. We know the account of Moses but actually setting down and having that face-to-face conversation and this is what it's going to be. He will dwell with them. God himself and the power of grace is there, and then they shall be his people. This is the absolute confirmation. This is the solidifying of our faith that we will be in his presence. In his presence, they shall be his people. That is the absolute confirmation of all of grace and mercy that the presence of God is here and we are with him. And the knowledge of our heart of knowing we will never be separated from him, even though Christ gave us that promise before he even died. The fourth thing is, is God himself shall be with them, as I've just said. And the fifth one is, is that he will be their God. The peace and the love and the grace of mercy. His absolute presence. And brothers and sisters, if you don't fear anything else about the Lord, you better fear this, that you know that you will be in his presence. It will come to be. It will be part of of history present history future but history past he is still God and he is what he is and nothing can change that for those of you that wonder what is this great attraction for heaven This is something that I've heard for so many years and I've heard so many people speak and they say, well, what is this great attraction of heaven? Why do I want your faith? Why do I want to be a Christian? Why do I want to be saved? What benefit is there? Why do I want to see to become this Christian that you speak about? And I've had these conversations. I'm sure many of you had. And they say, well, why do I want to become this great Christian when there's still so much turmoil, when there's death, when there's when there's famine and there's all these things in the world? People killing people and people abusing children and all these things what is the great attraction what is it that is in the world what is it that this god has what is it that this christ is going to offer to me that's going to make heaven and make this religion that you speak about so highly so affectionate to my heart make me understand make me understand i don't know if you've ever had that conversation or not but i have I've had people ask me throughout the years and even years before I was a pastor and said, make me understand. What do you say? What do you say to a person like that? I know what I've said in those scenarios, but what do you say? Well, if the world is the way it is, then God's not as powerful as you think he is. Why is the world the way it is? And if God's grace is powerful than the world and more powerful than the world, then why doesn't God just wipe all of these things away? Why doesn't God just change all of these things? And we can go back to Genesis 3 and we can go to Hebrews 10. We can go wherever we want to. And we can try to convince them with the word of God. But John, John addresses the heart. He addresses the heart of the individual. So what is this great salvation? What is this great favor? What is this great God, this Christ? What is it that He has to offer? What is it that's going to take away? What is it that's going to give to? And John lays out the five proofs that sin will not reign in heaven. And if no other time today, amen. The five proofs that sin will not reign in heaven. And here's the absolute authority of God over sin. And he says, and remember, this is something that we're looking forward to. We saw that in verses 1 and in verses 2, that there's a new heaven, there's a new Jerusalem, there's a new thing that is coming, there's a new way that is going to be understood, there's a new life that is to be had, there is a new heart to be received. All of these things that are here. And he simply says, and God shall wipe away all tears. All tears is going to be wiped away. Anything in this life that creates sadness unto tears is gone. There's no more tears of sadness. There's no more tears. They're, They're even in the glory state of our own minds and our own hearts, that even in heaven, it's not that we need something to make us happy, but in heaven eternity, everything's going to make us happy. We're always going to have a smile on our face. We're always going to be gracious and glorious and happy and appreciative. Listen, but God must first wipe away the tears. He must take away everything that is going to create a sadness in your heart. Everything that is going to create any type of of just remorse of of who you are. Because most tears, even in tears of joy, we find tears of sadness. Because there are times that when we gain that we must first experience loss. Then he goes on and he says, and there will be no more death. I love these four points that the Lord give me, that there is no fear of death. Are you listening this morning? There's no fear of death because you have no absolute knowledge of death. Death is gone. In heaven, there is no death. There is no fear of death. There is no pain unto death. There is no process. The third thing he speaks about is not seeing one another die. Not looking at somebody you love and seeing them wither away. Or getting that phone call that a person that you care about has died. We're not going to see that anymore. Anybody want to say amen? amen? And finally, the fourth point was that there is no death itself. There is no death. There is no separation because death occurs and creates a knowledge of separation and there is no more separation we cannot be separated from the love of God the third thing that John brings about here and writes about he says that there is neither sorrow there are no griefs or burdens did you get that There's no griefs or burdens. There's there's no griefs in life. There's nothing that we're going to grieve over. There is no burdens in heaven. There's nothing that we're going to be burdened over. There's not going to be anything that draws of any levels of pain and discomfort in our life. All of these things are going to be gone. All of these things, I don't know about you, but praise God and His glory that these things are not so. There is no death, there is no burdens, there is no heartaches. All of these things are gone. They will not be in heaven. They will not be a part of our life. They will not even, praise God, are you getting it this morning? It is not even something that you will process through your mind. Because it's just not even there. It's not even in your mind. It's not in the presence of God. It's not with Christ. It's not in heaven. All of these things, and I mean every burden. I'm talking about worried about paying your bills. I'm talking about health issues. All that stuff is gone. Some people's going to hell today, brothers and sisters, and we ought to be happy that we know in Jesus Christ of what lies ahead for us. But everybody that's dying without Jesus Christ could have these same things if they would just trust in him. This is what they're needing. This is what they need to understand. The fourth one, he says that there's no crying. I love this. There's no tear deer, tu- deer ducks. It's not even part of who you are. They're gone. I know we need them now. They they serve a medical purpose. But there is not one time that you're going to shed a tear. There is not one thing that's going to happen to you in heaven that is going to create that. Think about all the sadness that all of us have accrued over the years of just living life. And it's gone. He moves on in verse four and he says there's no more pain. There will be no physical. There will be no emotional. There will be no mental, nor will there be any spiritual pain in heaven. All of these things are gone. You're going to walk through eternity, not remembering this life the way that we know it now. You're not going to be remembering those that you lost, because if you lost them to Christ and they're with you in heaven, there's nothing to remember of the past. There's only an eternal future to live. You're not going to be worried about the pains of surgery, the pains of uh, of just the physical ailments and the things that everybody deals with all of these things are going to be gone the physical pains are gone the emotional pains are going to be gone the mental pains are going to be gone and most of all praise God there is no more spiritual pain there is no more waiting to get to heaven there is no more of just striving through life knowing as John said in Revelation 21 verses 1 and 2 that they are lying ahead you're going to be with him for all eternity nothing's going to say separate you from the love of God, you're going to walk down the streets of gold and you ain't going to be looking at those streets of gold going, wow, man, look at those streets of gold. They are so transparent. That is so clear. Wow, I don't remember gold looking that good back in earth when I lived back years ago. All that's done. You're not going to be looking at the streets of gold and finding it to be something that captivates your heart. You're going to be living in the love of Christ just knowing that for all eternity in a day that you will never experience anything again. So the people of the world, they say, well, what is it? What is it that I have to gain? What is it that this great God, what is it that this great person, this Jesus, what is he going to do? Once again, he's going to wipe away all of your tears. He's going to make sure that you have no more death, neither sorrow. There's no more crying and there's no more pain because the effects of sin is simply washed away verse five and he that sat upon the throne said behold i make all things new he didn't say some he didn't say most he didn't say 99.9 he said all things will be new I like in this term because the Lord give it to me yesterday is that this is a proclamation of foreverism. That's a term that He gave me yesterday, and I'm appreciating for it. A proclamation of foreverism. He that sat upon the throne said, "Behold, I make all things new." And He said unto me, "Write, for these words are true, and these words are faithful." These are just not words that God is telling John to write. He is not just saying that you are the only one that's going to benefit from this. He says, I need you to write these things down so all people will benefit from it. Y'all smile. Verse 6. Notice what the conversation takes place here in verse 6. And he said unto me, Has God spoken to you lately? What did he say, and how did you respond? So here he speaks to John as he's saying, write these things. And he says, pour these things out before mankind that they can hear my words through you, through you, through your writing, through your articulating of what it is that I'm about to say to you. He says, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega. He says, I am the beginning and the end. And boy, that would behoove all of us today to understand that Christ is the beginning. And Christ is the end. John 1, 1, in the beginning was Christ. He was. He always was. And in the end, it's Christ. There's just a small period of time that we all occupy in the time of the beginning and the time of the ending. There's only a small place of time that we all fit into this thing called life. Because whether we want to believe it or not, we're going to die. Unless the rapture takes place, we're going to die. We're all going to go to the grave. We're all going to go to a place that everybody wants to avoid. We're all going to entertain a moment in that last fleeting moment when our mind, whether it be conscience or unconscious, at the movement of the mind and of the heart and the wills of God, that the flesh would die. And for those of us that have already experienced that last moment, where they are just looking and thinking and knowing that their body is shutting down and knowing that eternity awaits them in those last fleeting moments. And the sadness is, is that some people can lay on their deathbed and raise their arms and say, Lord Jesus, what are you waiting?" for come get me I'm ready to come home and then those that are lying on their deathbed screaming and railing going oh Lord God oh Lord God what do I do how do I find the place where there is no more tears how do I find the place where there's no more death how do I find a place where there's no more sorrow and crying Lord God how do I find a place where there is no pain I'll just say this quickly because it's very appropriate. My one uncle died and he laid in his bed and he just began to scream. This was a man that would not listen to the gospel. He would not listen to anything that had religion associated with it. My father tried to witness to his brother many times and tell him about Jesus and he wouldn't listen. He would get mad and at times he would curse him. And he laid on his deathbed with a family member of mine that was there. And in those last moments of his earthly life, he woke up. His eyes was described that of saucers. And he began to scream and wail. And he began to pat his arms and was doing all of these things. And he said, I'm on fire. He says, I'm on fire. And he was gone. That's eye testimony from someone that was actually there. This is the eye testimony of one which was John that was there. And he's given us that absolute knowledge and authority. God is the beginning and the end. And we're just blessed again to occupy that small amount of time quickly. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the waters of life freely. This absolute power of God and God's grace through Jesus Christ. A blessing of a heavenly hope if a sinner will drink from the cup of God's grace. You say, well, what does that mean? How do I find that place? He brings it up and identifies it in verse 7. He said that he that overcometh shall inherit all things. What is this person needing to overcome? He's needing to overcome himself or herself. He needs to overcome other people's actions and opinions. He needs to abstain from all the false doctrines in the world. Brothers and sisters, before you come to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, there was a battle raging in your mind and in your heart There were religions out there that people were thrusting upon you and you knew you didn't want to be part of. You knew that there was a greater person. There was a greater deity than yourself. You knew that there was something that was wholesome. There was something that was great. There was something that was greater than your sins. There was someone that you needed in your life and you reached out and you fought past Satan. You fought past people's opinion. You fought past all of these people that was trying to pour all of these things into your mind and heart to discourage you from the ways of God in Christ, you found victory. And brothers and sisters, I've been there and I can tell you right now that the greatest battle that I've ever had in my life was when Jesus Christ through the Spirit of God came to me and He said, Scott, you're dying and going to hell and you need Jesus to save you. Because at that very moment, I could have ran away. But God knew when he spoke those words to me, I wasn't running from, I ran to. And I knelt down on the altar of grace at that beautiful church on that Friday night. And I poured my sins before Christ and I said, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Come into my heart and my life and save me. Give to me what I don't deserve but give to me what I absolutely need. Have you experienced that? Hebrews 8.10 quickly says this, don't turn ever. just listen, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. So these people that say, well, what is it? What is this God? What is this Christ? What is this salvation? What is all these things that you say that I need? Now you understand what they are. You understand how to receive them. But here's what John says by the words of God. And he says that these are the ones that will not have this cup and this grace verse 8 says but for the fearful one understanding of the word fearful in the greek means to be a coward which means to be unwilling to commit they're timid they're faithless but the faithless and unbelieving The unbelieving are the ones that have been drawn. They're the ones that know what the truth is, but they are not willing to listen to the truth. And the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. If you're a born-again Christian, in your heart... Verse 8 should bless you <coughs> to such a degree that, number one, you cannot identify with fearful, unbelieving, abominable, murders, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. That you cannot identify with that. Because in Jesus Christ, your identity has been changed. In Jesus Christ, all that you once was is no more. Your DNA was changed. Your Identification is changed. All things is changed. As Christians, we should look at verse 8 and just go, Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for pouring out into me and to give into me what it was I didn't deserve. But Lord God, most of all, thank you for just giving me, me your time and attention. Are you getting that? Sister Jill. But if there is one here today that does not know Jesus Christ, that you can identify yourself as a coward, meaning unwilling to commit to Christ or timid or faithless. If you are unbelieving in your heart, if there is an abomination, if there is a vileness about who you are inside of you, that's what that word absolutely means. If you have been a murderer and you say, well, I've never killed anybody with the flesh, but if you killed them with your hearts, You say, Lord, I'm not a whoremonger. I'm not a fornicator. I'm not a sorcerer. I'm not one that is bringing about the things and the wickedness. I'm not the one sitting there in front of the little crystal ball. But he also identifies idolaters. Have you ever lusted after somebody in your heart sexually? That's who you are. Right there. And he concludes that by saying, all liars. Liars over what? Liars over anything. The identity of a liar is not found in one way, but it's found in all ways. But then he gives his parting words. Brother Jonathan, come on up here. And all liars shall have their part, your space, in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. You're not going to die once. You're going to die twice. You're going to die physically, absolutely, as we all will, unless Christ comes. But there is a judgment that is coming, and you're going to stand before Christ, and you're going to kneel before Christ, because the Word of God says, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess. And then you're going to look at Him, and you're going to be going, "Oh Lord, Oh Lord, And your second death will not be going, dying in the flesh and then going to a grave. Your second death will be going to a place that was only created for Satan and for all of those angels that followed him. What do you need today as we stand?